All right, let's get your Friday afternoon underway the right way. The man, the myth, the legend. You want to be like him, but you can't. Dennis Stewart, good afternoon, sir. How are you, mate? Very well, Mark. I'd have to respond that way. Very well. Now, um, normally we just sort of focus on you know health matters and everything, but uh, today it's Dennis Stewart International version. You've made yeah. it. You made it across the way to the land of King Charles the Third. Yes, of course. I'll be watching a bit of King Charles the Third myself this weekend. But now, look, I received a lovely email from a lovely lady in the UK, who listens to our program. Um, That chuffed me to start with. But she listened to our program last week when we were talking about Vitex Agnes Castus. And I'd very briefly like to share what this dear lady wrote about the, the program and her appreciation of it. She said, Dear Dennis, I'm currently in the last couple of months of study in the UK. I will qualify as a naturopath and a herbalist. I love listening to your 2NUR podcast. It brings me so much joy. Last week, I was driving along and you said that your favourite herb was Vitex Agnus Castus. My eyes filled up. I too am a huge fan of Vitex and I'm writing my dissertation on this herb. I see this herb as a goddess herb from her roots in mythology and herbal medicine history. I'd love to send it to you when I have finished writing it, if you are interested. I have a lovely, wise tutor who I think is very similar to yourself. He also is a great fan of Capsicum. I'm so grateful for your sharing your sage knowledge with the world. Herbalism is a tradition of handed down knowledge, and I love that so much. Thank you, thank you, your herbal fan. Isn't that lovely? It is very nice. It really chuffed me. I was impressed to think that a lady lady driving along a freeway probably in the UK is listening to our program and wants to comment on it. I certainly hope she wasn't writing the email while she was on the M1. Lovely, lovely. And I hasten to point out she did mention she listens to you on the podcast, which you can find on our website, because at the moment it's a quarter past three in the morning in the UK. Oh, very good. Prescribe something for insomnia. Very good. Dennis, you did open up the conversation, or uh, your, your new best mate out of the UK did on Vitex, and yes, um, yes. some of the important points on that. But before we do, you, mm, you, mm. the introduction of that into the Australian herbalism scene. Very interesting topic because um, herbalism in in this country has always been a reflection of what we call the Anglo-American tradition, and the majority of our herbs, interestingly, had a North American. Uh, predominance with somewhat of a European blend as well. Very little, um, how can you call it, herbs other than that were in the system. When I came on the scene and started teaching, I did a lot of research and I was particularly interested in some of the older uh, British herbalists uh, who had written stuff which had been largely ignored and not taken on board seriously. I read a lot of works by a, a famous old herbalist called Geoffrey Whitehouse a real pucker Englishman. He was a great herbalist, a bit eccentric like all herbalists are. Is it, is it what they teach you on day one, is it? <laughs> yes, well, you have, to ha- you have to be a bit eccentric to be there. Mm-hmm. But anyway... They don't accept you in the course otherwise. <laughs> he, he wrote a book uh, on herbal medicine in which he spoke about uh, the herb Vitex agnus castus, which was being popularly and had been popularly used on the continent, both medically and naturopathically, 
as a herb with great affinity for female reproductive disorders, particularly infertility and particularly serious PMS. And I was taken up with this and sought to access it and use it in my practice, which I had commenced on the Central Coast. But unfortunately, we couldn't get the herb. It wasn't one of those herbs. That's a bit of a problem. Ah, but we sprang to the action. We found out that we could buy trees of Vitex agnus castus, which you can still do, by the way, and I encourage listeners to get hold of a a Vitex agnus castus tree. They won't regret it. Beautiful tree. So we got it and planted them on my property in Rothbury, and they were doing very well, only to find that very shortly... (laughs) the government reversed its restriction of the import of the herb oh. and we brought it in cheaper. So all the Vitex trees at Rothbury uh, didn't come to much. But we got the herb in and we began to trial it clinically, initially in Leichhardt Women's Health Centre. Uh, many of my students were doing work there, clinical work, and we found that it lived up to its expectations. There is no herb, in my opinion, that has such a beneficial impact on functional disorders of the female reproductive system than Vitex agnus castus. I would not be able to help, I'm sure, many women achieve fertility, as I've been able to do over many years, without accessing Vitex. I would not be able to reverse some of the serious levels of distress that many women experience in the second stage of the cycle where they experience uh, what loosely goes under the banner of PMS. Vitex revolutionised, in my opinion, the approach that we Western-trained herbalists had previously used to address these problems. And I introduced it. There was nothing being used prior to that that I'm aware of. And today, of course, it's one of the most popularly available herbs for those conditions. But I think I intimated last week, Mark, the biggest problem with this herb and many others is the expectation that people have not being wedded to a professional understanding of dosage, indications, and the management that necessarily goes with it to achieve the real medical objectives that it can. All right, lots to keep in mind there. And as always, Dennis, there's a story involved with just about every, <laughs> there is everything. There is indeed. G'day, Dawn at Brookfield. Uh, you got a question for Dennis in relation to kidney problems and potentially Java tea. What's happening, Dawn? Uh, well, I went to Dennis's rooms and I bought some Java tea about three, four weeks ago. Yes. Okay. Um, I just wanted to find out a little bit more about it. How long, does he know how long it might start to work or how long I should take it? Okay. I'll just go over a few things uh, with you, Dawn, for the sake of listeners. Uh, Java kidney tea, uh, botanically known as orthosiphon stamineus, is okay, well, I'm glad you've cleared that name up. Is well documented in, in the technical literature and well documented in the European pharmacopoeias. It is a herb that, fa- that made its fame when, when the Dutch uh, were running uh, what we now refer to as Indonesia. They were the colonists there for many, many years and took note of the fact that people with kidney problems in that culture inevitably accessed the herb, which they referred to as Kumis Kuchi. And they took it on board. And like uh, many uh, observations that the Europeans made, they began to use it for what we would loosely refer to as kidney problems 
with success in many cases. Now, you notice I say many cases. It would be absurd to say that in all cases, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But it was so okay. useful, it was so useful that it's found its way into the European pharmacopoeias and is still there today. Now, Java kidney tea is, is used... In, in, well, I clinically use it in the right dosage and in specific conditions and usually with the, the patient's doctor or uh, practitioner knowing what I'm doing. I will not treat uh, many conditions without uh, a medical practitioner's knowledge, and I think that's ethical and right. Uh, but it is a herb that has demonstrated somewhat an ability to slow down uh, the transit of many patients' kidney failure. And I, right. and I have evidence uh, where it has done that quite remarkably. Now, does it do it in all cases? I suspect not. But where the kidney is in a state of decline, and that uh, can be observed and noted uh, by the medical practitioner who looks at the um, estimated glomerular filtration rate, that's the yardstick, the FGR for uh, kidney function, when right. it shows a steady decline frequently the java tea will stabilize the decline and in one or two cases that i've seen have stabilized it to the extent that that patient no longer is looking down the barrel at dialysis now i think i think it would be stupid for people to say oh this is the answer to all kidney problems for goodness sake you know me better than that no i say that where there is little optimism for doing much for the failing kidney in particular, I think the herb Java tea, which comes as a dried herb, I also import it uh, from a European manufacturer of the extract to get uh, what I would consider to be an improved um, product in as much that it's more dose-related, but many people actually prefer the traditional form, the tea. But I see it as a useful device to discuss with the specialist or the GP for those people that have a kidney problem, preferably in the early stages and where there's not much that can be done for it other than monitor it. Uh, now, how long was one need to take before it gets a result? Uh, look, that's very, very difficult, Dawn. What, okay. what, I, what I would say, however, is that if a person has a problem with the kidney, usually they're having frequent kidney function tests through a blood test. And yep. over, over three to four months, uh, in my opinion, it would be reasonable to expect to see uh, some indication in the function test that the herb yeah. was doing something. Um, and taken as a simple water-based preparation, very, very safe indeed. Um, I think if I was in a situation where my kidneys were failing, knowing what I do about the herb, and I know I'm going to get a lot of controversy from those yeah. in the mainstream medical profession, but I've had the privilege, and it is a privilege, of introducing many herbs into this country which hitherto were unknown and have seen the benefits of them in addressing conditions for which the mainstream may not always have the answer. And one yeah. of the great uh, introductions in, in what I consider to be the final years of my, my practice has been to discover uh, and bring into the country herbs like Java tea and witness uh, many of my patients and users of the tea uh, 
claim to get benefit. Um, I don't know whether that adequately answers your question, Dawn, but um, <laughs> the, sa- the safety of the herb um, is in its favour. If, yes. you're, if you're taking it, uh, get your a GP to monitor your kidney function, as you probably is, uh, through, through blood tests. After you've been on it three to four months, it's reasonable to see a hint that it's doing okay. something. Yeah. You're reminiscing of times where you actually were, I didn't, didn't know this, you were part of a commune. Uh, call it commune or cooperative is a better term. Cooperative. Better term. <laughs> Less co-op. radical. Okay. Uh, very interesting time in our lives. We had a, um, um, an association with a number of professional colleagues. Interestingly, most of them the Public Works Department. Who, like myself, realised there was better things to do than sit 22 floors above Sydney Harbour and yeah. not doing much else. So we we, we purchased a property uh, outside of Grafton and uh, sought to get back to nature. Um, very lovely aspiration, but very quickly we found that there was also disadvantages associated with it. So fortunately, we most of us also had uh, our residence, residential addresses in, <laughs> in other places, you. which we finally retreated to. I understand. But it was an interesting experience, and uh, my wife can particularly remember it because she was uh, pregnant uh, with uh, one of our children at that stage, and uh, to actually have to bathe in, in 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 a creek, a beautiful fresh water, of course, but freezing cold. Downstream for everyone was drinking, I hope. <laughs> yeah. I loved, as you point out, though, that um, maybe this is the reason why we don't have uh, – we didn't get the roads built that we needed in the 70s because everyone on the public works decided it to leave. <laughs> went up to Grafton. G'day, Roy on the Central Coast. You're uh, concerned about high cholesterol today. Hello there, Mark and uh, Dennis. Hello, Roy. How are you? I have rung before a couple of years ago. Yeah, good on you. Good on you. Now, I've just had a calcium score test that's come back at 317. Yes. Which is high. Yes. Now, I'm looking for some herbs. I've been doing a bit of research, as you do as well. Yes, of course. For uh, blood cleansing herbs. Mm -hmm. I was just seeing whether you could recommend something for me. Okay. Uh, uh, What level of cholesterol have you got, Roy? Ah, uh, well, the cholesterol's about five. Well, you've got the LDL and the HDL. Yeah. I think the LDL's the worst one. The HDL's the good one, isn't it? Yeah. Now, are you are you, uh, are you on any medication from your doctor for your cholesterol? No, no. Nothing well, I rang you last year on celiac, see? Yes, yes. Okay. Now, some of the stuff you can get's got, you know, in the herb side of it, yes. it's got ginger and cayenne yeah. peppers in it, which yeah. is no good for my gut. Yeah. So it's well, look, a couple of things that that I recommend for people that are concerned about their cholesterol is to uh, look at herbs, and I'll mention a couple that have a good relationship. Big pardon? Dandelions, all right. Dandelions, a great herb. Um, and have it in a tea form, or yeah. Well, look, the the dandelion part that you would use would be the root. Dandelion has two two components: the leaf, which yeah. is used as a mild diuretic, but the root of dandelion has an effect on on the liver, on liver function, and as a byproduct of that, a progressive uh, reduction of of uh, cholesterol to a degree. But there yeah. are other herbs that are perhaps a little bit more related to it, and uh, globe artichoke, for instance. Oh, yeah. is, is an underrated remedy. And if you look 
in herbal literature, you'll find that one of its indications is for um, elevated cholesterol levels. And the yeah. interesting herb that's not um, seen so much related to lowering cholesterol, but perhaps lessening some of the uh, potential for uh, high cholesterol to cause plaque is the herb hawthorn berry. Now, hawthorn, okay. hawthorn berry I, I have great regard for. I take it every day myself, and uh, my wife and myself frequently visit the New England area, particularly when the hawthorn berries are on the trees. It's an area that needs to be visited by all herbal people to see the hawthorn berry along the wayside um, in full blossom and then developing the berry uh, from which is extracted the uh, the main part of the herb is a wonderful thing to do and uh, it is regarded in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia as having the potential to uh, uh, slow down, lessen, inhibit if you want to use those words, the deposition of plaque on the blood vessel wall. So it, it's, yeah. a, it's a, a herb that I see ha as a, a useful herb to take with a protective effect on the, on the blood vessels, resisting, if you like, uh, the downside of, of high cholesterol, or potentially the downside, and that is the deposition of plaque on blood vessel walls, which can cause um, all sorts of ramifications. So my, uh, my advice for people with cholesterol is if they're seeking to do something themselves, A, they need to be uh, aware that um, if the cholesterol is ridiculously high, they must follow the, the medical procedures, and certainly until it's under control, at which point, if they want to, they can try some of the softer stuff, which is particularly appropriate for what I call moderately elevated levels of cholesterol. Uh, the other thing is also I'm a great fan, as you would know, of, of using soluble fibre, and I recommend very, very highly um, the use of oat bran products, either simple in themselves or in more sophisticated sachet forms as a useful starting base to do it, and also yeah. the use of lecithin as a substance also that I believe, from my reading, has virtue not only in helping to control cholesterol, but in also uh, maintaining the, um, the uh, health of the vascular system. Yeah, well, at this stage, I haven't, uh, I've got a stress test to do. Yes. Which is trying to find out uh, what level of plaque build-up in my system, mm. but I'm trying to uh, decrease the cholesterol issues by some natural means, you know. Yeah. That's well, what I call it. Yeah, keep, keep in mind that th there is a cholesterol problem which is family-based, and that uh, can be that in the family elevated cholesterol and really high cholesterol has been characteristic of the family genetics, if you like. And where you have that very, very high cholesterol level, in my opinion, you'd need to listen to the medical treatment, which would suggest that you get that down and get it down promptly by going on to more conventional medication, giving you the time, if you like, with your medical manager in this case, to look at other means of helping uh, lower it or maintain it or keep it down uh, either on its own or with the prescribed medication. All right, thank you so much, Roy. And uh, Dennis, you, we did actually have a call also from Victoria at Rayworth uh, uh, inquiring about the use of lecithin to control uh, cholesterol yeah. as well. So you, you 
I've just touched that. on that. Exactly. I, uh, for the sake of uh, this dear lady who, who rang in, uh, cholesterol is one of the many, I'm oh, sorry, lecithin is one of the many uh, natural substances, nutritional substances, which contribute, and that's a good way of putting it, contribute to helping control cholesterol levels. It's one of many, and listeners have heard me over the years talk, talk about self-help devices to help keep cholesterol levels uh, at an acceptable level. But there again, I go back on what I've said a, a moment ago, uh, one must be cautious that one seeks to do this uh, with the management of a health professional. And there are some conditions, unfortunately, with a, a ridiculously high level of cholesterol would obviously call for the modern intervention of pharmaceuticals. Now, you're, you're, you're ready for this King Charles coronation, mate. I know that for sure. I am indeed. Uh, I have no problems in telling uh, listeners that uh, I'm a great supporter of, of the monarchy. My wife is a, a fanatical supporter. Mm -hmm. We have the Union Jacks flying, of course, bunting all over the house. Yeah. Uh, and special uh, meals to be put on for the neighbourhood, drinks, etc. Let me guess. Uh -huh. uh, so, a cup of tea, there'll be some scones <laughs> with a little the Union Jack flags and, the, and what, some meat? Pies, fish and chips? Absolutely, and with the, the background music, uh, God Save the King, and uh, we'll be there from about 4 o'clock right six through. 6 in the morning. Right through, right through. <laughs> G'day. Looking forward to it. G'day, Paul, in Newcastle. Uh, your, your question about ginkgo combined with aspirin. Uh, you've had some nosebleeds, Paul. Dennis is ready for you. Hello, Paul. Yes. G'day, Dennis. Yes, mate. Yeah, I've been taking ginkgo for about three weeks, Um yeah, um, I'm prescribed aspirin because I had a slight heart attack and that, yes. but um, no, that was five years ago, nothing major. But, yeah, I've just started getting a little bit of nosebleeds and someone did say that uh, Denko can cause internal bleeds as well. Is, is that true? Okay, look, um, Ginkgo has um, a controversial reputation as being, um, if we like to loosely refer to it, as, as a blood-thinning agent. Um, now, this has caused uh, a lot of the literature to recommend that uh, people that have um, blood or bleeding uh, potentials or who are on other blood-thinning medication, anticoagulant medication, should be cautious, very cautious, in, in, in taking the ginkgo. Um, I would suspect, yeah. I would suspect if you have started to have nosebleeds, which are not a common thing for you, no, not okay. really. No, I would say uh, it's, only, that, it's only very, very, very minor. But yeah. And what what uh, dosage of aspirin are you taking? A hundred or two hundred? Uh, just a mild one, just a hundred. Yeah. Milligram. Look, I'm a fan yeah. of of uh, aspirin as a useful device to uh, to to stop uh, clotting yes. conditions. But in your situation, if you've started to have uh, a few nosebleeds, I'd back off the ginkgo. Cert yes. certainly, oh, yeah. certainly to see whether yeah. or not this uh, leads to lessening of the nosebleeds. Yeah. If it doesn't, yeah, that's, um, that, that's, that's what I clue. did do, actually. Yeah. I, I, I went from three tablets a day get back to one and yeah. Yeah. it sort of settled a bit. Yeah, but okay. what about stopping the aspirin and just taking the Denko? Den would that be uh, not advisable? I, I, I would. Uh, you've probably been recommended by your GP to take the aspirin. And yeah. I would, I would always, you, I would suggest uh, that you follow your medical practitioner's advice. Okay. Um, I think yeah. ginkgo is one of the most useful herbs that yeah. one can consider using, 
but there are instances where it may not be advisable, and I have spoken with listeners about this before. I have rarely seen, by the way, uh, instances like what you're referring to, but uh, I would stay with with the aspirin. Yeah, okay. All right, then. I'll do yeah. that until I talk to the GP. Then, I think yeah. you should. I think you should, and uh, you're already doing the right, the right thing. You've backed your dosage off on the ginkgo and already you've noticed a reduction mm. in, in the mild nosebleeds. That would yeah. point to the fact that um, you need to be a little bit cautious in taking that if you mm. are on blood-thinning medication already. Yeah. All right, best of luck with everything, Paul. As we continue Health Naturally with uh, Dennis Stewart, our herbalist, our naturalist, our uh, monarchist, former socialist... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hippie-loving rebel. <laughs> Public service dropout, he speak. Now, uh, we'll just open up a little bit of a discussion here because we'll run out yeah, of time. Yeah. You were in in previous weeks talking about um, capsicum, yeah, particularly yeah. for, you know, mucus-type yeah, conditions, yeah. etc. You want to take a step and talk a little bit more about some of the bio chemic biomedic remedy so i'm trying to read your writing it's like um, biochemic yeah it's like uh, he, this guy definitely works in um health do you know why because i cannot read his bloody writing <laughs> so i reckon the worse the writing the better the per- the better the uh the better the person is <laughs> we'll get back to the topic by Bi- by okay okay look there is a system of natural medicine known as schusler's biochemic system now what do we mean by that there was an Austrian doctor called Dr. Schusler, who in the 19th century uh, made some remarkable discoveries about the essential micronutrients that exist in the body at a cellular level. And they became known as 12 tissue salts. They're also referred to as biochemic remedies. The 12 tissue salts, biochemic remedies, discovered, promoted, documented, and subsequently used famously by the Austrian doctor, Dr. Schusler, and his ideas spread very, very rapidly, the hypothesis being that there are 12 crucial minerals at a micro level circulating in our body. Any imbalance of them, so Schusler claimed and was subsequently shown to be correct, any imbalance of them can reflect itself in various syndromes of disease. And he also found that by acknowledging the the basis for certain conditions, uh, he was able to treat many of these conditions by supplementing the person's treatment with a tissue salt, a tissue salt. Now, many listeners out there will know exactly what I'm talking about because this was, certainly in my earlier days, one of the most popularly used system of popular medicine used by the lay person. And I brought in, and we've been talking about it, a little handbook that a very elderly patient of mine gave to me as a gift, which was used by her husband as a lay person, as many other people have used this system over the ages to demonstrate the way in which a knowledge of the cell salts developed by Dr. Schusler can help resolve certainly some of the chronic conditions. There are 12 of them. We can't go into all of them. But the reason I'm raising it today is that even though I'm a medical herbalist and also known as a naturopath, probably a bad naturopath, I use and always have used the cell salts as a great companion to the prescribing of herbs. And I reflect back on my early days in practice on the Central Coast 
of where it was all almost mandatory to prescribe a cell salt or a, one of Schuessler's biochemic remedies as a great companion to my herbal prescribing with great results. Yesterday, and this is what encouraged me to take up the topic today, yesterday I had a very interesting discussion uh, with a, a, an elderly patient, probably not as old as I am, but probably getting close to it, who has suffered a chronic, very compromising condition that we would call catarrh, that was the old term. That is a build-up of mucus in the upper respiratory tract, which also implicated the lower respiratory system so that this man's life had been dogged by stringy, chronic, mucousy conditions that compromised his breathing and compromised his ability to exercise and walk as much as he would like, despite medical monitoring and despite medical treatment. I put him onto one of the cell salts, and I'll talk about it more in depth next week when we talk, I put him onto one of the important cell salts, as they're called, and the result was so outstanding that even in conjunction with the herbs and supplements that I'd previously prescribed, this in basically in 24 hours reversed the symptoms that he had experienced for so, for so long. And I was so encouraged with the result and the way in which it confirmed my lifelong experience of using Schuschler cell salts, his biochemic remedies, as great, safe, adjunctive remedies. And by the way, and I say to listeners, you can get little handbooks on the cell salts from a good health food store, maybe even a pharmacy. They're published even in Australia today. I would suggest to all lay people who are interested in a system of very safe remedies to get hold of a book on the biochemic remedies, the cell salts of Schuessler, and see why previous generations, even of lay people, use these things in the household very successfully and why naturopaths of old, like myself, were trained on how to use them and still use them, although probably not enough. But certainly my patient yesterday spearheaded my interest today in raising it with you. We'll talk more about it. Who knows, Dennis? Next, uh, you might have the next 12 weeks sorted if there are 12 cell salts. <laughs> <laughs> Generally speaking, though, I mean, and we've literally got 15 <laughs> seconds, so it kind of makes, in, in theory, makes sense. There are certain things that we need to have. We've got to be in balance sure, too much or too little sure, of one sure, thing. Sure. It's going to open you up for a whole lot of other things. That's gear. the whole hypothesis. All right, well, uh, we've just covered it in 10 seconds. Thank you, Dennis. We we'll, have, I'll, I'll get home and wave the Union Jack. <laughs> sure, we will, mate. You enjoy the coronation over I the weekend. I will, I will. And we'll catch you next week for another exciting health naturally, all right? Well, indeed. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.